Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? Doing really well. It's the weekend. It's a freaking weekend. (laughs) Yay. Finally. I know. I like live for these weekends, I feel like. (laughs) Well, I feel like you and everyone, we're all all on board for weekend, weekends forever, weekends for life. I don't know what I'm saying, Mandy. It's a little dreary here today, so I feel like that's kind of cramping my style, but I also don't want to go outside today, so I'm going to Netflix and literally chill. Awesome. Sounds like a perfect day. (laughs) Okay. Well, we have a lot to unpack in this week's episode. Um, This story comes from my sort of hometown, Daytona Beach, Florida. I have never heard of this story and somebody from my husband's office um, actually recommended that we cover this case this week. So I am very excited about it. It is a quite a story. And um, I am excited to tell the story this week on the show. So before we get into the story, we're going to get right into we googled this city so we can get a feel for where this crime took place. Daytona is located on the east coast of Florida and has a population of 68,055 people. It became widely famous in the early 1900s for its wide shoreline and hard-packed white sand beach, which eventually became used for high-speed automobile testing and later racing. It has been called the world's most famous beach since the 1920s, and some people will try to fight me on this. They already have in our Facebook group, but I do think it is the most famous beach for a reason. Um, Of course, I'm a little bit biased. I spent 
over half my life living there. I gave birth to my first child in Daytona. But if you ask me, there is not a more beautiful beach than what you find on the East Coast of Florida. I know the West Coasters, like I said, will try to fight me and say their side is better. But I am firmly opinionated on Daytona being one of the prettiest beaches. Emerald Coast for life. But go ahead. Keep going. (laughs) So driving and parking is still allowed on the Daytona Beach shoreline today, making it one of the few beaches that you can actually do this on. Um, Locals that live in the area really do not like beach driving, and there are zones where beach driving is not allowed. But I think it is one of the most unique experiences about visiting Daytona. It's just very kind of cool to be able to drive your car right down on the sand and park it and have access to all your stuff right there and not have to walk some crazy long distance down to the beach. That is like the most mom thing ever. Like you just don't want to take a bunch of trips. Yeah, that's literally exactly what it boils (laughs) down to. I just want to be able to have all my crap right there with me and just walk to the car and not have to go, uh, you know, with a wagon carrying it, you know, all over the place. Yeah. So I love that part of Daytona. It has long been known since the number one spring break destination for college students, and it's also a very well-known and popular destination for bikers, and there are two major events each year in Daytona that are just for them. There's Bike Week in the spring and Biketoberfest in October, and these are huge bike events. You, uh, If you live in the area, you stay away from you know the parts where they hold like these events during those times because there's just motorcycles everywhere, and if you are not into that, I can see how you would be like very overwhelmed by the amount of motorcycles that are on the road in Daytona during those times. Daytona is also known as the birthplace of NASCAR, and the Daytona International Speedway has been hosting the Daytona 500 since 1959. The Speedway can hold 167,785 people, which is almost two and a half times more than the entire population of the whole city. So if you think about it, that's like a huge stadium, and they actually hold events there year-round, and not just you know for racing, but they have events such as the Turkey Rod Run that's at Thanksgiving. I don't know if you've ever gone to that. It's actually... Um, one of the largest gatherings of classic cars in the country. And it is really, really fun. I like to take my kids um, whenever we get the chance. My dad would love that. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it's very cool. The Daytona Beach Boardwalk was built in 1938 and draws in families with its many amusement opportunities, including arcades, rides, restaurants, and the Band Shell, which hosts concerts on the beach. It's a very fun little um, stage that looks literally like a seashell and the stage is inside the seashell. So it's just very beachy. When I visit Daytona with my family, which is at least once a week in the summer, I try to make a point to take my kids down to the boardwalk and we will sometimes stop in the arcades or get ice cream or whatever it is that we do. I used to work um, at a restaurant that was there on the boardwalk and it was actually one of my favorite jobs ever. It was a restaurant called Bubba Gump's. You guys have maybe have heard of it. I think they have them all over the place, but it was just such a fun place to work and, you know, get to have the lovely view of the beach while you're at your job. So the boardwalk is also the home of the infamous roller coaster that derailed earlier this year, flinging two riders 34 feet to the ground and injuring eight others. And the boardwalk is a very important part of this week's episode. In the 1980s, Lisa Paspalaskis was living the dream. She was helping her parents run a gift shop and an arcade on Daytona Beach Boardwalk. And um, that was called the Joyland Arcade. And Lisa and her family were well-known in the Daytona tourism community. Uh, Lisa's father actually immigrated from Greece with very little money, and he was looking for the American dream. The boardwalk venture was actually very successful, and millions of tourists visit there annually, as Mandy was saying. There's lots of revenue to be made in this area. Daytona, Mandy had a note that Daytona actually doesn't have a lot of money makers anymore. Mostly it's just tourism, and locals want to shut all of that down which I don't like touristy town. I mean, we live in Orlando. We actually don't really live in Orlando. We live 
for all intents and purposes, we live in Orlando, but like right. neither of us live near Disney. Like that's not a thing that we do. Um, but so when people come here, like you don't go to certain parts of Orlando because it's tourist crazy. Like it's just not fun. So if you live in a town like that, you're avoiding all of that crap as much as possible. Right. I can see how you wouldn't like it necessarily or don't want to be down in the areas where there's a lot of tourists. Like you said, like I avoid certain parts of Orlando, um, you know, because I don't want to be around that. But I feel like I still understand the importance of tourism and like what it does for our economy and everything. But that's the whole thing in the Daytona area. There's, of course, a lot of like retired people and they just want to keep their beach quiet. They don't want the spring breakers. They don't want like, you know, all that craziness going on down there, which, like I said, I understand. But come on, like you have to have something. There's there's literally nothing else going for them over there. Yeah. To bring in money, you know, if it's been the most popular beach since like the 1930s. Like at this point, <laughs> you got to move on. If you don't want to have tourists around, maybe pick a different beach. This is, yeah. you know, it's sort of established at this point. Um, so Lisa succeeded in college and she planned to take over her family's business, which she had actually worked at since she was a teenager. The only thing she had missing in her life was that relationship with a very special man. The Greek American community is very large in Daytona. And I was so excited about this episode. I told Mandy, I was like, immediately I thought of with all of these lovely Greek, Greek names we come in contact with that I cannot pronounce, I thought of Jesse, is it Kastopoulos? Kastopoulos from Full House and Balky Bartokamu, which Mandy definitely doesn't know that one, from Perfect Strangers, Balky and Larry. I love them so much. So I was very excited. I can basically say their names, but everyone else in this story, I'm going to be guessing. Um, so this is this is like my big fat Greek wedding in a murder show. The point of all that was to say that Lisa's parents still upheld these very traditional Greek values, and they wanted Lisa to marry a Greek man. So Lisa's dad learned about this guy named Konstantinos Fotopoulos. Her dad arranged a meeting between Lisa and Costa, as he was known. Costa was a good guy. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. And he also came to America with the same dreams of succeeding and having this American dream. He actually left his parents behind in Greece, and he didn't have money like Lisa's family, but he was not poor either. The two spent time together and soon fell in love. They had a whirlwind romance that led to, as Melissa was saying, this big fat Greek wedding. Uh, And this was definitely a big to-do. Costa was marrying into one of the wealthiest families in Daytona at the time. And as we said, they were very into traditional Greek values. And it was a very traditional Greek wedding. And it was a big deal. You know, uh, Lisa's family was very well known in Daytona. And of course, they would have nothing but the best um, wedding for you know, for their daughter. So this was a very big wedding. So after the couple got married, Costa hoped that Lisa's dad would let him in on the family business, but he ended up not really taking on like this big role that he envisioned for himself. He ended up doing a lot of odd jobs around the boardwalk arcade and he started getting bored with that routine, but he wasn't going to complain too much because he did still like the money. Um, And so what he chose to spend much of his money on was lots of guns and lots of ammunition. It comes up multiple times in the story that guns were just this guy's passion and he had several. And when I say several, I mean, he had an entire artillery, this guy, and he just enjoyed going to the shooting range and shooting his gun and would rather do that even than hang out with friends and watch football. And he kind of got to a point with this hobby, if you will, where he was even uh, making his own bullets. He was making his own silencers. And he was just very serious about his passion for guns, all types of guns. He had handguns. He had, um, you know, rifles, just everything you can imagine. From what I gathered, he just 
Had them all. So he also had a lot of ideas for different business ventures, but Lisa's father would never financially support any of them. As I said before, he was kind of hoping that Lisa's family would look at him like a son, you know, and, and help him out just the same way that they would help out their daughter. But that wasn't happening. And he eventually came to have this idea to open a pool hall in a deli at the other end of the boardwalk from where Lisa's family's arcade was. So Lisa was really apprehensive about this and she didn't, you know, she had kind of a bad feeling about the type of crowd that a pool hall would draw in, which of course I can understand. This is a boardwalk. It's supposed to be a family friendly place. You don't really want to put a bar you know, right next to an arcade where people are trying to bring their children. So her family was not really happy about it, but Lisa gave Costa the money that he needed to start up this business because she was just being supportive of her man and was happy that he found something to do. And, you know, she wanted to see him succeed. And so as any, you know, wife would, so she gave him the money that he needed to open up this pool hall. So the bar owner life turned out to be not so great. And the pool hall did attract the attention of several bad seeds in the area. It was just a lot of young transients who had come to Daytona kind of looking for a fresh start. There was a documentary that we watched on this. And there was a journalist that works for the Daytona Beach News Journal who had said that uh, she was explaining how you know it's always been kind of a problem where young people really from all over the country will you know, quote, you know, come for Disney and end up in Daytona. They kind of come here looking for this, this fantasy dream life, you know, and trying to make a way. And then they end up over on the beach side and they kind of just hang out there. And the beach is kind of, you know, I hate to say this, I love Daytona, but it is kind of a hangout for people who really don't have anywhere else to go. Um, and it's very easy for them to kind of hang out down there, especially at night. It gets very dark on the beach. There's no lights and, you know, people go down there and sleep. And so it is kind of a, a place where, you know, transients hang out and definitely on the boardwalk as well. So the pool hall earned this reputation of being kind of a icky place to hang out and much illegal activity actually started taking place in the pool hall. And there was lots of underage delinquents and other petty criminals. So Lisa and her family were not happy campers, but Casa seemed to love the atmosphere at his bar and he really encouraged it. He wasn't discouraging these people to be in. He was like, yeah, everyone come hang out. Uh, everyone's accepted there. So he began to live a fantasy life that he was some kind of professional mobster, which is such a nice jump to make like <laughs> for yeah. him to be like, you know what? This might not be turning out the way I thought it would. I'm going to become a mobster. That's just like. Yeah. But he was like, step. this is my territory. Like I'm yeah. the king of this place. And, mm -hmm. you know, and he really like relished in it and didn't care at all that it was not, you know, what his wife and her family had envisioned for this area. Yeah, kind of like a rebellious, you know, like that's still his castle, that he's king of that castle sort of thing. I get that. So Lisa's father actually died really suddenly, and there is some talk that it could have been a possible poisoning, though that was never proven. Um, Lisa inherited a large amount of money from her father. So Lisa and Costa decided to build a dream house with this money. But their old home sold quickly, and they had to move in with Lisa's mother and brother, Dino, while they waited for their new house to be completed. In the midst of Lisa's grief and dealing with her father's estate, her husband Costa was somewhat absent and appeared to be busy with his new business and didn't really spend a whole lot of time with his wife. Then one day while Lisa was at work, just a short walk away from Costa's bar, a man with a gun attempted to corner Lisa in the office and where they kept their money at the amusement center. Lisa escaped but was really shaken and she just had the sense that she was being followed, um, which is, even if you feel like you're being followed for one second, that's incredibly 
terrifying. So I can't imagine somebody who's like feels that and then also is, you know, being held at gunpoint. That's, you know, terrifying. On November 4th, 1989, Costa and Lisa were at home and they were asleep in their bed. A masked man entered the home and went to the couple's bedroom and fired a single shot into Lisa's head. Uh, one thing they mentioned in that documentary is it was Costa was close to, like, if you walked into the room, tell me if I'm explaining this right, Costa was closest and Lisa was on the other side. So for the gunman to shoot Lisa, he had to walk around the bed and shoot Lisa on that side. And then right. I guess the exit plan then to leave. So Costa was actually awakened by the sound of gunfire. He wakes up, retrieves a gun he had near the bed, fires at the intruder, and kills him. Lisa's brother, Dino, and her mother hear the gunfire, and they run into the bedroom to see Lisa shot in the head and this, you know, intruder dead on the floor. So Dino calls 911, and police quickly respond and usher everyone out of the home. A very short time later, family friend and local attorney Michael Politis showed up. So Mike Politis, I was actually like super excited to see him in this documentary. He is a very well-known name around Daytona, even to this day. Um, if you are in legal trouble and you live in the Daytona area, chances are you at least know one attorney to call because his name is all over the place. Um, he actually represented my sister um, a couple years back when she got into a motorcycle accident and uh, he won her case for her. And I have friends who have also used him as their attorney for like similar things. Um, in 1989, Mike Politis was an assistant state prosecutor. So he was allowed to be on the scene. Um, now, like I said, he mostly deals in like DUIs and personal injury cases. He does a lot of like these motorcycle related injury cases. As I said before, he's very popular with the bikers. I think he might actually have a motorcycle that he rides around. I don't really know. I don't know him that well. Thankfully, that's probably a good thing. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Mike Politis was actually shocked to hear um, what had happened to Lisa because he had actually grown up with her and, in the Daytona area, and he knew her family very well. Um, inside the home, police found Lisa laying in her bed, suffering from the gunshot wound to the head. But miraculously, she was still alive. Um, but they, of course, it's always uncertain at that, you know, in that moment. You don't really know if you move this person, is it going to, you know, set, suddenly send them into some kind of shock? Like every single move you make when you have a person in this condition, you don't know what's going to happen. You, you, you know, they could make it, they could not. So the police also noticed the deceased male in the bedroom and the scene they thought looked like a burglary gone wrong and that Costa was just this hero for waking up and shooting the intruder and defending his wife. And everyone, I mean, everyone was doling out accolades for Costa. You know, they were just like, like, you're so brave, like, you you know, you defended your home and, you know, you got the guy and everything. And everybody, of course, was praying for Lisa to make a recovery and that, you know, they would all, every, everything would be okay. So a few things did not add up to some of the more seasoned detectives that were on the scene. Um, they noticed that a window had been smashed out, but they also noted that the window pane that was smashed out was too small for a person to climb through. So, that was just kind of one of those things like why would they smash out the window like they didn't crawl through it because you can't fit through there so it was just kind of weird and they also questioned why the intruder would not try to shoot costa first as you said because he was first of all the man and that's typically who you would think would be the bigger threat and as you said he was you know on laying on the side of the bed that was closer to the door so that didn't really make sense to them why 
they he this person wouldn't try to take him out first. So there was nothing missing in the home, despite there being plenty of guns, as I said before. There was lots of jewelry. Um, like I said, this is a wealthy family, so there was nothing missing inside the home. Lisa was rushed to the hospital in an attempt to save her life. The Daytona Beach News Journal put out a press release simply stating that Lisa had been shot, taken to the hospital, and that Costa had shot the intruder. No other details were released at this point, and people were shocked that this would happen in their town. Um, Mandy has a note that that type of murder is not super common in Daytona. There's crime and crime-related deaths that happen, but not really this cold-blooded murder. There's a recent murder that really shook Daytona, and that was Diana Kressler by Thomas McMullen Jr. She was stabbed over 100 times in his parents' home and killed himself in the woods near Daytona International Speedway. So surgeons at the hospital made decision to leave the bullet in Lisa's head. It would be too risky to try and remove it, and she might not even survive that surgery. Instead, they worked to remove bone fragments from her skull and stabilize her condition. So police at this point identified the intruder as an 18-year-old named Brian Chase. Casa said he'd never heard of him, never saw him, and he didn't know who he was. Police were still puzzled by the intruder's actions, and they didn't know how he had gotten into the home without setting off the alarm or, as we talked about, why he went straight for Lisa. They started looking into Lisa and Costa's past. Police learned that Brian Chase was a frequent flyer on the boardwalk, and he was one of the many young transients who hung around the area and also hung around Costa's pool hall. Do people not notice when you say, like, things to the police that, like, the police are going to check these things out? You know, like, right. they're not I've never just heard going to of say, okay. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> oh, for you've, your, you know, thanks for your information. Yeah. You've never heard of them? Got it. Not going to ask any more questions. Don't worry. So, right. <laughs> uh, so when word about Elisa started to spread, police began to get calls from people claiming they had information or they may have known what have actually happened to her. Several employees from Costa's bar reported that Costa had offered them $10,000 to kill his wife, which, if you're just going around having this conversation, again, that's also going to go up. Um, come up. So another tip came in that Costa was still trying to arrange for Lisa's murder by hiring someone to deliver a bomb inside of a flower arrangement and have it delivered to her hospital room, which could oh in gosh. essence kill how many people? You know, you're just putting yeah. everyone at risk and you think they're not going to really look into more doing that? I don't really get that. Um I have the mind of a criminal, apparently. Um, <laughs> so that never ended up coming to fruition, but police were more curious than ever about what was going on. So police knew they would need a lot more evidence before they could arrest Costa because he had no criminal record and all of the alleged witnesses were less than savory people. It wasn't long before police uncovered a number of untruths about Costa's story and they discovered a flurry of lies and criminal activity, including counterfeit money, guns, secret lovers, and more. So we have much more to break down in this case, but first we're going to tell you a little bit about this week's sponsors. It's finally fall in Florida, which means it's my favorite time of year. It's sweater weather, and fall is in full swing at Mod Cloth. You need cute knits and cozy essentials, and Mod Cloth has them. If you're like me, I'm breezing on through fall in full anticipation of the holidays, and Mod Cloth has me covered. You can start prepping for those upcoming holiday parties now with Mod Cloth's Party Boutique. You can find everything from luxe velvet to irresistible sparkle. You'll have a night to remember in an outfit you'll never forget. Mod Cloth believes fashion should celebrate all women. That's why they offer a full range of sizes from extra, extra small to 4X. This week, Mandy and I ordered a few pieces from Mod Cloth. The shipping was super quick and their site is so easy to search for very specific pieces. I'm currently going through a Peter Pan collar phase and I was able to find a beautiful navy and floral dress with a Peter Pan collar that I can wear in the summer or pair with leggings, a sweater and booties and wear them this fall. 
After ooing and aahing over all the adorable options on Mod Cloth, I ended up with a versatile stream blue tunic top that can be worn with my favorite skinny jeans or leggings and dressed up or down for any occasion. To get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, go to modcloth.com and enter code MOMS at checkout. This offer is valid for one-time use only and expires on February 2nd, 2019. To get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, go to modcloth.com and enter code MOMS at checkout. This offer is valid for one-time use only and expires on February 2nd, 2019. We cannot say enough great stuff about Poshmark. If you haven't already joined Poshmark, then today is your lucky day. By joining Poshmark, you immediately have access to shop from millions of closets across America. So last week, I mentioned a pair of J. Crew blue leather suede shoes I had my eye on. Well, I actually marked the little heart and liked them on the app and then received an email a few days later that the shop owner, Rivalry Trade, had made a price reduction down to just $31. So, of course, I had to buy them. I received them within three days and I cannot wait to wear them out. I also made my first Poshmark purchase last week and snagged a pair of Express Distress Bootcut Jeans. Express is one of my favorite places to buy jeans, but I am not always ready to pull the trigger on an $80 pair of pants. Luckily, I was able to get them for just $20 on Poshmark. The Poshmark app is free and it's so easy to use. Plus, Poshmark carries women's, kids, and men's styles. Poshmark has tons of brands you can shop from like Marc Jacobs, Coach, and Gap. I've gone through my closet and found a few dresses that I have laid out to sell on Poshmark. You can check out my closet at MAM Melissa. And I know with Poshmark, shipping is easy for both the buyer and seller, so I'm looking forward to selling my closet. Listeners of Moms and Murder get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code MURDER5 when you sign up. That's invite code MURDER5. We've all heard the saying, when life hands you lemons, you make lemonade. But what if those lemons are rotten and there's no sugar to be found and now you're left with a cup of sour lemon juice? Things just aren't always unicorns and rainbows and sometimes we need someone to talk to. BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, BetterHelp has you covered. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house in real pants. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com slash moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash moms and use the discount code moms. And now back to the story. So Lisa is at this point in the hospital fighting for her life and police are starting to put together more and more information and learning about Costa and his true self. They're kind of starting to figure out that he is not exactly this stand-up guy that he, uh, you know, is is portraying himself as. He has actually been running a ring of illegal activity out of his new business right under his unsuspecting wife's nose and, of course, is using her money to fund this business and it's just 
lots of lots of yucky stuff. So Costa had some connections back in Greece, and they were kind of some shady characters that he was associating himself with. These uh, these individuals were printing counterfeit um, U.S. money in all different amounts, and they were selling them to Costa for just a few cents a piece. So Costa was mixing this counterfeit money with real money and making a huge profit doing this. So he recruited one of his employees named Kevin Ramsey to help him with his counterfeit money scheme. So an example of what they would do or what Costa would do, he would give this guy, Kevin, a fake $100 bill and send him to the store to make some kind of a small purchase. And then Kevin would return with the change that he got back from this $100 bill and give half of it to Costa and keep half of it for himself. So everybody is making money off of this. Um, So Kevin Ramsey then recruited other friends to do the same thing that he was doing. So you can see how this would quickly turn into a very lucrative um, counterfeit money scheme that Costa had going on. So troubled young people would turn up in droves to get a piece of Costa's pie. And one of them was this barely legal teenage girl named Deidre Hunt. She had recently made her way to Daytona after leaving Massachusetts following an incident she was involved in where a woman was shot multiple times. This Woman Deidre had a very rough life, as we said, a lot of the people that were hanging around um, Costa's bar kind of had the same thing. She was abused by her mother. She was raped as a child. She did not have a father. Um, Some of the stuff that I learned about her was actually really, really sad and horrifying. Like she began using drugs by the second grade. I can't even imagine. My son is in the third grade and the thought of him using drugs like I, I I can't even get my head around that right. um and she was sexually active by the fourth grade so she began a life of substance abuse very early on she dropped out of high school after the ninth grade and she started um doing sex work to survive and to support herself Deidre still had something about her that drew other people to her she was very attractive she was very popular she was easy to talk to and people just liked her but she enjoyed having this persona of being a bad girl and she she kind of, that was a hat that she wore very well and she enjoyed having that image. So Costa hired Deidre to work at the bar, but he also saw her as another easy target that he could use to manipulate in his little illegal activities that he was had going on. Deidre quickly became very popular at the bar and there was a lot of regulars that would come often to see her. And as I said before, she drew the attention of many men and she actually came to be known as the Boardwalk Vixen. So Costa started lusting after Deidre. Even though he had it all with his wife, Lisa, he found himself being really attracted to Deidre and wanting to be with her. Deidre was the stark opposite of Lisa. So Costa felt like he was living life on the edge and he enjoyed the thrill of the attention Deidre gave him. Shortly thereafter, they began an affair and they didn't even try to hide it in the bar. They really put their whole relationship on display there. So when the affair was brought to Lisa's attention, Lisa told Costa she wouldn't stand for it and if he didn't end it, she would file for divorce. If Lisa divorced Costa, he would obviously not be getting anything and he would be entitled to absolutely zero of the family fortune. When police learned more about the shooting in Massachusetts that Deidre was involved in, they brought her in for questioning. As it turned out, Deidre hadn't merely witnessed the shooting, she had actually been the shooter. She and her lover at the time randomly attacked a woman sitting in a parked car. Deidre shot her six times but did not kill her. She was charged with attempted murder, but at a court hearing, the victim stated that she did not see the person who shot her in the courtroom, so charges against Deidre were dropped and she narrowly escaped prosecution. She fled to Florida in September 1989 for a fresh start. What? That's just like a giant what? Like, do they have no other evidence against her? I mean, that's just crazy. 
I, yeah, and I, I from what I from what I gathered, it was just a random attack. Yeah. Um, I I don't even know. And then they had also said that she was just such a good liar, and as I said, she was very attractive and charming, and so she was kind of able to lie her way out of it and manipulate the police. And then she just got lucky when this woman said, yeah, I don't see the person who shot me here. And so that was all they needed to say, well, okay, we'll drop the charges against you. And oh my I don't know how she got away with that, honestly. And at this point, she was only like 18. She was very young. Yeah, that's crazy. So when police questioned her in Lisa's attempted murder, Deidre admitted to sleeping with Costa, but also told police she was sleeping with someone else too. And Costa wasn't like her main relationship. Deidre was very forthcoming with her interview with police. She acted like it was no big deal, and she just told all of the secrets, really. She told detectives that Costa had wanted Lisa dead because he thought he would inherit some serious cash and life insurance money. Deidre, of course, thought money sounded like a pretty good idea to her, and she was jealous of Lisa's life and material possessions and wanted it all to herself. She thought that Costa would be her new ticket to a new life. Which it's kind of crazy to me. She's admitting all this stuff to the police when, meanwhile, she lied to police. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think she would follow suit with each one. Like, it's kind of weird. You wouldn't say it was really bizarre watching her super her first interview with police because she just like there was no like she wasn't tripped up about it at all. I mean, she just started talking and talking and talking and just like wouldn't stop talking and was just telling them literally all this crazy stuff and like the police were even kind of dumbfounded like they were like is this girl serious like yeah you know, like they couldn't even believe that she was just saying all these things right and did you notice how old the diet coke cans were in that interview <laughs> i did not I was immediately drawn <laughs> to her diet coke can i was like wow that's a classic coke um, so anyway, Deidre had actually very calmly told police that she and Costa had actually already killed someone. She said that they shot him out in the woods and she could take them right to the body. And police were baffled. Like, we're not even asking you about that. Like, how is this? Right. How are you coming <laughs> up with this? Yeah. So Deidre leads him to the spot. And sure enough, police locate the body of none other than Kevin Ramsey, who was the employee from the bar who had previously been helping Costa in his counterfeit scam. While Costa and Deidre had been planning Lisa's murder, Kevin presented a more immediate problem. He actually threatened to tell the cops and Lisa about the counterfeiting and the affair unless Costa paid him off. But Costa was not going to be blackmailed. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. 
I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. So, yeah, he wasn't going to be blackmailed. He um, actually fired Kevin, but then somehow convinced Kevin that he should go to work uh, for him as an international assassin, which would earn him a lot of money. So... I know this is just like, what? My eyes are popping out of my head. (laughs) Yeah. So this kind of goes back to Costa thinking that he is some kind of um, professional mobster, like we said in the beginning. So Kevin fell for this because Costa had already um, lied to Deidre and the rest of these young people that worked for him and told them that he actually worked for the CIA and was a big secret agent. And his job was to kill people for the government. So all these people are just like, wow, Costa, you're so cool. You know, we want to do what you're doing. And, and, you know, if this is how you make Make money and, and get your life, then sure, we are all for it. So Costa and Deidre set up a special initiation test for Kevin so that Kevin could prove that he was brave enough to go work for Costa um, as this international assassin. So what they did was they took him out into the woods and Kevin willingly allowed himself to be tied to a tree with his hands behind his back. And they told him, we're not going to shoot you, but we're going to fire a gun in your direction. And we just want to make sure that you're not too scared so that we'll know that you you are prepared for for what this job is going to entail. Well, that's not really what happened. Once they had this innocent man tied up, Costa had a video camera and he was taping this entire thing as he instructed Deidre to take the 22 caliber pistol that he had given her and shoot Kevin. And so Deidre casually tells the police about this entire event and how she had shot Kevin Ramsey in the chest three times and once in the head. And then Costa had also shot Kevin with an AK-47 that he had also brought out there. She was literally talking about this like she was telling you what she had for lunch. It was not even, there was no remorse or no, like, didn't feel sorry about it. She was just like, okay, yeah, this is what we did that day. Like, this is what happened. And didn't even didn't even care about any of it. So they, police arrested her, obviously, and she acted very surprised that she was getting arrested. I guess she thought that because she had like told all the truth about it, that maybe they would let her go or they wouldn't charge her with anything. Obviously, that is not how it works, telling the police that you killed someone. And she, but she did say that she could prove that all of her story was true because of this videotape that she had already told them that Costa had made of this murder. Speaking of the tape, I guess the reason Costa had um, done this video was that he had planned to use it as blackmail against Deidre at some point if he needed it. He had her on tape murdering a person in cold blood, and that obviously is very would be very good blackmail material to get her to continue doing his bidding and doing whatever he tells her to do. So after Kevin's murder, Costa told Deidre that he needed her to kill his wife Lisa for him, and Deidre didn't, I guess, 
didn't really want to, obviously. I mean, I can, I don't even, I can't even imagine how that conversation would go. But they, two of them finally had a, at least one moment of intelligence. And they realized that if Lisa was murdered, a lot of people were probably going to start talking about Costa and Deidre's affair that they had been having. And they knew that they would immediately become prime suspects in in such a murder of, you know, if, if Lisa was murdered, they knew they would be looked at. So they decided that they should probably hire somebody else to kill Lisa instead. And Deidre was going around asking like people like friends, if they knew anyone who would be willing to murder an innocent person that they don't even know. And one of her friends gave her the name of a man, um, Tija James. So the original plan was for him to murder Lisa at a Halloween party, which turned out to be quite a stupid idea because she was there surrounded by her entire family and all of her friends. And so this man chickened out and didn't do it. But then a few days later, he approached her at her job, as we talked about earlier in the episode, and kind of cornered her in a back office. But Lisa got away. So Costa was irritated that this guy um, could not complete the job and decided to find somebody else to um, complete the task. And that is how poor Brian Chase got involved in this whole entire mess. So Brian was obsessed with Deidre, just like many men were. He would really do anything for her. And so when she asked if he would murder someone, he immediately said yes. He was just an 18-year-old kid, not a hardened criminal. And he was so in love with the idea of being with Deidre, he went through with a plan despite being terrified and knowing it was really a terrible idea. On the night of the murder, Brian entered the home through a window that Costa himself had left unlocked. Costa had also disarmed the alarm. Brian had no idea that Costa's whole plan was to also murder him and make himself look like a hero. He had no idea he would be shot that night and never get the $10,000 reward he was promised. So word got out that Lisa was definitely going to survive, and detectives spoke with Lisa in the hospital and simply asked her if it was true that she had asked Costa for a divorce, and she said yes. Cops at this point have their motive and a reason to move forward on charges against Costa. They searched the crime scene and uncovered the 22 caliber used in Kevin Ramsey's death, as well as the videotape that Deidre told them had existed. And I think it was the DA that was talking on this documentary uh, on one of them that was like, it was the most horrific thing we've ever seen. Like there, he's like, you can hear about being somebody, you know, about somebody dying, but when you actually hear them dying and you see this, he's like, there's just nothing that yeah. you, you can never understand, you know, how truly and awful I think it that- is. Yeah. And that same guy that you're talking about, um, he was saying that, you know, when they found this tape and watched it, I mean, this is a a room full of police officers, but he was saying that like none of them had ever seen anything like that. Like, you know, they work these cases all the time and they kind of, they figure out what happened to people after they've already been murdered, but none of them even had ever seen a murder actually take place. And I just cannot imagine that is something, you know, and that's what he said, like that sticks with you like for life. Like you, you never forget like seeing something like that. It's just horrible. Yeah. And she was super, I mean, they were both very callous in the tape, but it just, just them describing it. I don't even want to describe it, but them describing it, it was just horrific and totally, I don't know, totally just terrible, really. So Costa was brought in for questioning and was super arrogant and, of course, denied everything. He said everyone was lying. He claimed he loved his wife, never cheated on her, even though there's – why do people lie about things that you can easily fact check? I just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it at all. So investigators show him a picture of Kevin Ramsey. Costa said, yeah, he used to work for me, but, you know, I had to fire him. He was stealing and no clue where he is now. Don't worry. No idea. So then they show him a photo of Kevin in the woods. Um, Kevin's body in the woods, rather, and Costa simply said, yeah, that doesn't even look like him. 
like okay we can identify him (laughs) you know what i mean it's not like it's just this you know picture they found him they can do you know fingerprints they can do dental records it's him how can you even say it doesn't look like him that's crazy yeah i don't know that enraged me so much so costa was not budging he wasn't confessing to anything or incriminating himself but the tape said it all and it was more than enough to get a conviction Costa and Deidre were both charged with murder, and hours before trial, Deidre changed her plea to guilty. No offers or plea deals were on the table for her. The state was actually going after the death penalty, and despite valiant attempts by her lawyers, she was found guilty and sentenced to death. And I think she said at the time she was either the youngest or the second youngest to be on death row. Yeah, she was was only 20. Wow. Just your whole life. I mean, these people's lives are over. You killed them. You know, you killed Kevin, and you tried to kill Lisa. That's just the worst. But to be also on top of that, you have a 20 year old who has ended their life and ended everyone else's lives. It's just for nothing. Just it's infuriating. So Costa continued to lie on the stand in his trial and he denied, kept denying everything. He said that that wasn't even him on the videotape, even though they had many witnesses um, attesting to the fact that it was him and that definitely was his voice. And the jury thankfully saw right through him and he was convicted um, of attempted murder and conspiracy and sentenced to death. He was scheduled to be executed in 2008, but it was stayed pending one of many of one of his many appeals Um, that particular appeal was denied in October of 2008, but a new execution date had not been set. In January of this year, the Florida Supreme Court rejected another appeal and he was to remain on death row. That was the most recent thing that I could find. I didn't find out if they had actually set a new execution date or not. Eight years after Deidre was sentenced, she was granted a new trial and she was allowed to revoke her plea and a new jury found her guilty a second time, but then she was sentenced to life in prison. So she is no longer on death row and she now lives at the lovely Homestead Correctional Institution in Florida City. And as for Lisa, she is now remarried and she still runs the arcade on the boardwalk. Um, They never were able to remove the bullet from her skull. So she will have that painful reminder with her for the rest of her life. So um, we have a couple of last things before we go. So this is from our lovely friend Deirdre, aka D, um, not the Deidre in this case. And her question is, what are our nicknames? Do we have nicknames? Mandy, go ahead. So um, Mandy is a nickname. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Amanda. And um, it's actually funny. Nobody really calls me Amanda. Nobody has in years and years and years. Um, everybody calls me Mandy. And I like it. My name is Mandy. But yeah, it is a nickname. My husband and I actually have a mutual nickname for each other. And every time I mention this, people are like, why do you call each other that? But we've done it, honestly, since the beginning of our relationship. But we call each other Bushka. I don't know if you've ever heard us say I that have, to each and other. I'm always like, okay, I have no idea what's happening here. I, I don't know why. I don't know where it came from, um, but it's just one of those, like, endearing things. Like, we don't even call each other our names anymore. Like, we both just call each other Bushka. So um, that's pretty much it for me, though, for nicknames. I, um, I mean, you call me a lot of things, but none that I want to talk about on the show. Nor any <laughs> that we should say on the show. No, Um so my name is Melissa, and people want have always wanted to call me Missy, which puts me in a blind rage. Um, <laughs> some people, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> it makes me crazy. Or Missy, I people tried to do that. 
or did I say Missy twice? Um, oh, Mellow is the other one. Mellow. Um, some people call me that. That one is okay, but I'm not mellow about it. So it's a little upsetting. Um, but my real nickname is Momo. And uh, my brother is like almost 10 years younger than me. And so when we were little, he would ask, I was like always wanting to be his mom, I guess. And so he would always go to say something to me and he would say, mom, uh, Melissa about things. So he would kind of direct me as mom. And so somehow that became Momo. And so with my family, I'm Momo and my niece and nephew who are the most adorable kids in the entire world, um, call me aunt Momo. And that's just, Aww. yeah, I love it. And the little Nora, who's just one, she just says Momo and like wants to see me on camera, like on FaceTime. So she'll point and then just say Momo and it like melts me and I'll give her Aww. anything she ever wants in her entire life. She is the cutest. Right? Like the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. It's insane. Yeah, she really yeah, is. So um, those are it. Mandy likes to call me Mel, which just also makes me crazy. I absolutely love it. I love it because it makes you crazy. (laughs) Thank you so much. There's nothing I love more than calling you Mel and seeing you send me like the little emoji with the eye rolling. Yeah. (laughs) Or the like angry one, whichever one is perfect. Uh, My friend that just visited Sarah, her kids call me Miss Bestie, which I just love. They're like, should we call you Aunt Bestie or Miss Bestie? And I was like, okay, I just love it. And it's the cutest thing in the world. But the entire time, my daughter Ashlyn was like, um, we got to come up with a name for her. <laughs> I was like, I know they're really like kicking your butt here. <laughs> so, okay. And then the other question we had, and I'll have to look at it again. Um, this is from our friend Roxana in our Facebook group. And every time I want to sing the song Roxanne and then add a uh, at yep. the end. Um, so she put, who would be the worst person to be stuck in an elevator with? And um, I asked specifically if she meant of the two of us. And I think that just opened up a whole new level of possibilities for her. So um, (laughs) I say we take it that way. Which one of us would be the worst person to be stuck in an elevator with? Definitely me. A hundred percent. But for a real reason. And you know exactly what it is. You panic. What? Yes. That's what I was going to say. I would not be good in that situation. I feel like you would be totally fine. You would just like sit on the ground and just- I'd establish a pee corner. Yeah, I'd be good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I would be freaking out. And like, I don't like small closed in spaces. I don't like being trapped, you know, and I- you saw how I freaked out the other day. We, uh, Melissa and I actually had um, this conversation about how we uh, react in like emergency situations, such as being stuck in an elevator. Um, But- I do not handle it well. Melissa stays calm. And then after the fact kind of is like, okay, that just happened. But I freak out right away in the moment. And um, a great example is um, the other day we were together and um, there was a bee flying around my legs. And I don't even know how to describe the movements I did to get the bee. It wasn't cute. But Melissa was like, I do not want to be around you in an emergency. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was hilarious because I very calmly said, "Um, there's a bee around you because my son was there and I knew he would lose his mind if he saw there was a bee. (laughs) So so Mandy decided to jump around and do like a whole new jive that I've never seen and yell. And my son, of course, started screaming and I was like, well, this went this went really, really well. I felt really bad that I freaked him out. No, I am like in an actual emergency. I am the person you want. I don't know what I'm doing, but I will keep you eerily calm. Um, Do you remember a few years ago, this again with my son, he's always got like 
always like trying to accidentally kill himself. He, we were out in the canoe and he fell out and he had on a life jacket, but he was little. And so I took my left hand, which my right arm is definitely my dominant and still very weak. And I scooped him out of the water. And the whole time, just with that arm, the whole time, all I was saying is you're okay. We're okay. You're okay. We're okay. Like (laughs) creepily and got him in the thing and everybody's on the shore, like screaming. And I'm just like, so calmly doing it and then that night I'm like crying hysterically in my room like thinking of all the you know just how scary that was but yeah that's my entire life is I think maybe it's my son there's so many emergencies that I'm always like I have to be calm because he will lose his mind (laughs) so yes a hundred percent I think you would be maybe more entertaining in an elevator would you yeah it would be fun for me to watch you freak out in an elevator yeah No, and then I would start telling you like crazy stories like, uh, you know, I would start telling you about the elevator game. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, anything on Reddit, you would just start telling me about, (laughs) is it Elisa Lamb and that whole story about, um, yeah, it's, well, that it's like one of the theories that people like think or whatever, like that you can play this elevator game and go to like a different realm or whatever. And like, it's a total Reddit thing. So, um, I would totally try to freak you out and tell you that we should play the elevator game, even though I would actually be too scared to try and it. And I would, yeah, <laughs> convince you that it was a really good idea. And then, but I'd still, you know, I'd, I'd be calm trying to calm you down, probably just patting your head and saying, you okay, you okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But um, as far as like a per- another person like besides you that I would hate to be stuck in an elevator with, if I'm being honest, it would be my kids. Can you imagine a worse situation than being trapped in an elevator with kids? No, <laughs> absolutely not. You just have to hope there's a lot of snacks uh, completely. But yeah, I would mm, – I can't even think about that. Oh, I have one fun elevator story. that I don't know if this is fun, but I always laugh about it. Whenever I used to work in this medical office building, I would, you know how like you want to be polite, but sometimes you like put your hand to stop the elevator, like so you can get in, even if nobody's there, like that's whenever I would try and do it. Well, one day I was walking and I kicked my foot to do it. Well, it was too low for the sensors, I guess, to catch me to realize like, hey, there's a human coming and it closed on my foot. And so it starts going up. And that's like one of the only times I freaked out in a situation because my legs moving up and I screamed and donkey kicked and it didn't come out. And so I threw myself on the ground, like my back, like the most dramatic one type backwards. Yeah. I like um, had bruised my back and stuff. I was so freaked out by it, but it was, I just would have loved to have (laughs) seen me donkey kicking at an elevator. So how did you get your leg out? I literally threw my body backwards with all my force and my leg came flying out. It was terrifying. Oh my gosh. That is so awful. That sounds awful. It is. But I would have paid to have seen like the surveillance video of me just like donkey kicking and yelling. (laughs) So yeah, I am not a big fan of elevators. So anyway, that is our last thing before we go. Thank you guys for those lovely questions. And um, before we go, go. Um, we do want to play a promo from our friends with um, our True Crime podcast. They are a great podcast hosted by two lovely ladies. And if you guys want to listen to them and check them out and let us know what you think. And we will see you back next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Are your friends tired of hearing you talk about serial killers? While you're at a dinner party, have you randomly blurted out the odds of being murdered by a complete stranger? Does Netflix only recommend documentaries on true crime and murder? If you've answered yes to one or more of these questions, 
Come over and sit at our friends' table. I'm Cam. And I'm Jen. And we are the co-host of our True Crime Podcast. And you can listen to us every Wednesday wherever you download your podcasts. See you on Wednesday. Oh, bye-bye. Love ya. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder Podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.